Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 8, 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthutha. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. All right. Good to see all of you this morning. Um, I haven't met you yet. My name's Harrison, and I'd love to meet you. Um, so I'll say this for the first couple of weeks. That I'll, I'll be in the back after the service, just hanging around. I would love to talk to you if I haven't met, gotten a chance to meet you yet. Um, so we're going through Mark in reverse for our sermon series. And uh, before we dive into this passage, um, have you ever seen any of the survival uh, TV shows? Um, so thinking of uh, the first one I saw was Man vs. Wild, uh, Bear Grylls, out in the wilderness doing ridiculous things, drinking in his own urine, eating bugs, eating snakes. Um, turns out he was staying in hotels each night, so he was doing that for no reason. But uh, <laughs> then Survivor Man came out, and that was, that was the real deal, all right? You got a guy just with a camera by himself in, in the woods, everything checked out, um, just kind of surviving out there. And then now um, it's alone. Uh, where people are competing for how long they can survive in a desolate wilderness. Um, and what, uh, what draws us to these shows? I think uh, one thing for me is that on a deep level, uh, you can kind of relate to the situation. Um, if, you're, if you're like me, a lot of days feel like you're just surviving. Um, maybe for you, uh, there are... Um, you're, you have work piling up, deadlines coming, you're in school, uh, you, have, you have tests coming... Um, maybe you, it's the constant demand of kids when you're running on very little sleep. Um, maybe for you, it's uh, not, not knowing where your rent's going to come from, your kid's tuition, um, not knowing where the resources to care for your elderly parent are going to come from. Um, maybe you, you or a family member are in a literal survival situation with a, an illness uh, that may take um, your life. So as human beings, I think we're constantly in survival mode, survival situations. Our lives are fragile, and our needs are great, and it's often too much for us to handle by ourselves. So in this text, we're looking at a group of people that are in this exact situation. They've 
wandered out into a desert wilderness. They've been there for three days. They've run out of food and water. Um, and they've gone for too far for too long to, to make it back. Uh, and so the text addresses uh, how are we, how are them and we to survive in such a dangerous world? And I'm going to suggest that the solution posed by the text is this. Um, our best survival strategy is to look to the heart of Jesus and to look to the hand of Jesus. Look to the heart of Jesus and look to the hand of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we um, come to you this morning, many of us uh, coming in, feeling that we're in a survival, survival mode. Um, it's hard to focus on things where so many anxieties and concerns in our heads. And um, Lord, I pray that this will be a time where you would speak to us, those of us who are in that situation. And for those of us who have a, a reprieve today on, on the Sabbath day, Lord, um, would you also give us your wisdom to carry into the week with us when inevitably we're in a survival situation coming up sometime soon. Um, Lord, give us your words uh, to make it through. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look with me first, uh, to look to the heart of Jesus, first point. Look with me in verse 2 here, the very beginning. So Jesus calls his disciples together, sees the crowd, what's going on, and he says, he says this, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. So it's clear that the people um, are in danger. Um, they, uh, they got out there by following Jesus, hearing his teaching, experiencing his healing. But now they've come too far to, to make it back. Um, and uh, I started wondering, why would, why would someone do that? Um, they clearly had come out with, with seemingly no regard for their own um, physical lives. Uh, some people probably turned around after day one, started to see the rations running low. Maybe day two, other people left and went home. But these people had stayed three days despite those calculations not adding up for them to be able to make it back, why would someone do that? One thing I thought of is maybe they were more desperate for what Jesus had to offer than they had ever been for food or water in their life. Or maybe uh, they always lived in a literal survival situation, like a lot of the people Jesus encountered. And now for some reason with this, something about Jesus, it seemed like their odds were better now than they've ever been out in the desert, way past t- turning back point. Either way, their survival strategy in this moment is to look to Jesus and nothing else. And look at how it turns out for them. Um, as soon as they become in danger, Jesus stops his disciples, calls them together, and starts explaining the situation. The entire time, Jesus has been keenly aware of all the details of these people's lives. He knows how far uh, they had traveled to get there. He knows how long it's been since their food and water have run out. They know how the distance that it takes for them to get back to where they're coming from. And the exact moment where the human body would faint, uh, which in the desert means dying, basically, uh, due to lack of food. Jesus is like a meticulous shepherd over this crowd of people. And why? He says in verse 2, it's, I have compassion on, the, on this crowd. Um, compassion is an emotional word. The literal meaning in Greek is moved in the inward parts. Uh, Jesus' heart aches. His gut shifts when he sees them in this, in this situation. Jesus uh, cares so much for the crowd 
that he does not want anything to happen to them. And so his compassion compels him to stop and do something about it. The same Greek word for compassion is uh, used in a different story, in the, in the story of the prodigal son, uh, where a son asks his father, I want to take your inheritance. Um, and, and this is a parable Jesus tells. I want to take your inheritance, dad, and um, go, go spend it all now. Basically declare you dead. Uh, so he goes out and it says he squanders it all on reckless living. Blows all the money and then a famine hits the, the area and he, he becomes starving. He gets in a survival situation. It says that he longed to eat the slop that the pigs ate. So he decides, I'm, you know, my dad's servants lives better than this. I'm going to go back home and apologize to him. And, and maybe he'll let me just be one of his servants and eat the food there. And when he goes back home, this is what uh, Jesus says, the father, uh, what happens with the father. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved in the inward parts. His father had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He said, bring the fatted calf. We're having a feast. My son is home. And the point of that parable is that Jesus is the father and that we are the son. And that when we're in survival situations, even when they're due to our own sin, that he sees us a long way off, runs and meets us, kisses us and throws us a feast. This same compassion is on display in the story of Hagar in Genesis. Hagar is a woman with a little baby who's kicked out of her house, sent out into the desert wilderness, and she leaves her baby far away. She doesn't want to see her baby die. She's so desperate. She sits down to weep. And the same God who's revealed to the fullness in Jesus says this to her. He says, what troubles you? Pick up your child. I will make of him a great nation. And then he shows them a well of water. And Hagar names God the one who sees. She's the God who sees her and her needs. The same compassion is on display all over the Bible. Think of Israel in the desert in the Old Testament crying out to God and getting bread falling from the sky and water shooting out of a rock. You think of Ruth and Naomi showing up in Bethlehem widowed and poor and being led to the most generous man that anyone's ever seen, Boaz, who is their kinsman redeemer. Think of Elijah, who uh, is terrified and runs out into the desert and asks God to take his life because he's so scared. And he gets baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water instead from God. God is a God who has compassion on those who are just surviving. Our best survival strategy then is to look First, to the heart of God. So this is what the crowd did, uh, and Jesus' compassion comes through. And my question is, why would Mark put this story in his gospel two times? Um, so if you're familiar with the Bible, you're like, hang on, 4,000 people? I thought it was 5,000, right? Um, two chapters earlier, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. The story looks almost identical. Um, it starts out with Jesus having compassion on the crowd, Jesus knowing the crowd's needs. My question is, why would Mark put that in there twice? If he did it twice, he could just say, all right, he did, you know, this is something he did. A lot of miracles Jesus probably did thousands of times, and they just put it in one example. I want to suggest that Mark and God himself want us to know badly that Jesus seeks out your needs the same way he searched out the needs of this crowd, and that his heart has compassion when your needs are not met. 
Jesus tells us in another place that he has the hairs on your head numbered. That's meticulous. <laughs> some, of us, some of us know the number of the hairs on our head. Uh, it's not many. Uh, but uh, Jesus has the hairs on your head numbered. Um, it means he also knows the last time you ate. He knows the last time you took a sip of water. He knows uh, how many calories you need per day. He knows um, how much money you need to get by. He knows where you're going to be working this year and what your income is going to be. Um, made a list here. He knows your need for closeness with friends, for intimacy, for family, for play, for exercise. And the list goes on and on. He knows these things and has a calculation in his head that in his province to make sure that you get what you need. And when you don't get what you need, his heart is moved to compassion. So his compassion compels him to be your meticulous shepherd. And my question for you is, do you know that this morning? Do you know that? I think many of us live as if if this is not the case. Um, One of Satan's main strategies is to say, hey, God doesn't know your needs. Um, You need to get those met on your own, your own way. You need sex before marriage. You need to gossip with your friends to fit in. You need, uh, you need to take revenge so that they hurt you like you hurt. You need to work seven days a week, not taking a Sabbath, to provide for your family. God's ways leave you dry and empty. Eat the fruit. That's Satan's main strategy. Jesus instead calls us to follow him out into the wilderness with no food or water and to go too far for too long to come back and to trust him with your needs. And that is terrifying. Why would anyone do that? Here's why I think we could do it. For those of us who have hair, how many, how many hairs do you have on your head? How many do you have? When's the last sip of water that you took? How many molecules of water did you get in that sip? How does your brain really work? How does your heart actually work? Jesus knows the answers to those questions and and answers the questions that no scientist can ever dream to think of. Is it possible that the designer of our bodies and the current meticulous shepherd of your life knows your needs better than you ever could? And is it possible that that same guy cares more for you than you do? Because how good are you really at having compassion on yourself? If you're like me, not great. So I think when we take a step back, we see that Jesus is way more worthy of carrying our needs than we are. So our best survival strategy is to look to the heart of Jesus and his ways. So you might be thinking at this point, um, you know, I, I think Jesus probably does provide for my needs, but maybe he sees some of my needs as wants. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I want some, like a pint of ice cream on the side with the bread and fish, you know. 
Um, and so to get that, it's like he's going to give me what I need, but I need to kind of take care of the things that I, I want in life. And that, that question leads us to our uh, second survival strategy. Look to the hand of Jesus. Look with me in verse 6 here. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples and set, to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. He had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. So Jesus feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves and three fish. If you're like me, this, this kind of number is, numbers are hard to grasp. So this is uh, 25 Hope Chapels. So the group of people in, right here, 25 of us on Man vs. Wild in the desert of New Mexico, New Mexico or something, and someone gets up and has a few snacks, and they're like, hey, everyone eat this. Um, and everyone is fed. And they didn't just get like a, a tiny little scrap. You know, it says that um, they were satisfied. And that word satisfied also means fattened. Um, what that means is that they ate a lot, uh, maybe a little too much. Um, they felt great after. Some probably took a nap on the couch while watching football. It was like a Thanksgiving meal um, that they had. And not only were they satisfied, it says there were seven large baskets left over. So they could have fed way more. Not only did they get a nice nap, they also took doggy bags home to feed on for the next two to three weeks. I think all these details are included because God is a God not of scarcity, but of abundance. What becomes clear is that Jesus is not merely giving them what they need to survive, but he's laying out a table for feasting. That means that your needs and your wants are on the table to be met by Jesus. The crowd did well to look to his hand, which was so overflowing with stuff that he dropped a lot of excess on the floor while he was bringing them their deepest desires. One guy who knew this really well was George Mueller. Um, George Mueller was a, a guy who lived in 1800s in Bristol, England. And he started an orphanage on what was called the faith principle. Um, and his, his idea was, and see how crazy this guy is, his idea was uh, he's going to do an orphanage, make no money, but he's only going to, um, he's not going to ask anybody. He's not going to support raise at all. He's just going to pray to God for all of his needs. Just going to pray. And George Mueller has an autobiography about his experience. He writes down each prayer request, and what happens is he ends up caring for over 10,000 orphans over his lifetime. He starts 117 schools uh, that teach over 120,000 people in his lifetime. Do you know how much money it costs to start 117 schools? I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, an abundance of money, an overflow of money from a meticulous shepherd. So George Mueller uh, has amazing quotes that I want to paraphrase for you from this experience. He says, I've seen a lot of people's trials come from their lack of confidence in God's ability to provide for their earthly needs. Anxiety often comes from thinking it's all up to you, but faith is the opposite of that. The more desperate the situation I was in, the more I saw just how much can be done with faith and prayer. 
Be assured if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. This is the kind of trust that Mark 8 in this story, Jesus' overflowing hand inspires in the people of God, like George Mueller. So what about you this morning? What's your survival strategy for today? When you came to church this morning, what were you stressing about? Maybe I need sleep. I need a break. I need my kids to obey me for once in their lives. I need my parents to trust and respect me for once in their lives. I need to feel like I belong here at this place. I need exercise. I need to feel like I still matter in my life. Whatever it is that you're bringing in this morning, did you ask God about that thing? And if you did, did you ask for the bare minimum, which is really common in some prayers, to say, God, can you just do this one little thing for me, just this one time? Or did you ask for the full thing that you really wanted? God, I want to be satisfied. And if you asked for the full thing, did you expect an answer? Did you write it down? Did you wait? The Bible says, like, the watchman waits for the morning, like a deer pants for flowing streams. You wait for God from that prayer. Doing all this feels so risky, doesn't it? And that's exactly what Jesus wants from us. George Mueller says it works. Uh, also, 4,000 people uh, left a long time ago um, feeling very full after coming out of the desert. And they never treated their needs the same again. Testifying that if you look to the shepherd, he is going to give you everything you need. I'm slowly learning this through experience. Um, so uh, we were very nervous moving here to get a house in this insane housing market. Um, one uh, experience was we, a house came on the market, which is very rare. Uh, it happens sometimes. House comes on the market. Um, and uh, we were like, oh, uh, well, we should go get this house. And so I, I drove through the night from St. Louis 12 hours with our daughter to get here at 9 o'clock the next morning to see the house that had come on the market the night before uh, just to have it sold while I was looking at it. Uh, we had a number of other experiences like that where we were just realizing we may not be able to compete with contractors and um, uh, baby boomers downsizing. We may not be able to compete with that in this market. Uh, so after that, that day, I was feeling really dejected. I remembered um, Molly Richardson, uh, who's in here somewhere. Um, Molly Richardson had mentioned that a house that she, she knew uh, might be coming on the market close to her parents. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just drive by that house and just to see it. I go by, and there's a guy um, outside in the yard and so I get out after driving 12 hours through the night with disheveled hair and my car packed full of stuff um, that we didn't organize at all and walk up to this guy. And he said he was about to run me off his property. And then he saw uh, our little girl that was in my arms. Um, and he said, immediately, I, tr I trusted you because of her. And, and for us, I talked to him that day, um, told him how I knew about the house. He showed me around um, and then he said, you know, I'm going to sell the house to you before I put it on the market. That, that was the only way that we were going to get the house. 
And Jordan came and looked at it, and she was like, this house is perfect for our family. And that is one experience where I was stressed. I was not being faithful, not praying much about it. I was just trying to get it all done myself, and God just provided miraculously in ways we can never imagine. Other times, you pray for something, and uh, you don't. You feel like you get the opposite of what you need, right? Um, uh, over the last year, I've had a lot of health issues. Um, I was in a hospital twice, uh, one time for appendix, and then went back for a hematoma, internal bleeding uh, in my abdomen, and was in pain for a long time. Um, I also had, have an um, infection in my throat that I haven't been able to get rid of for three years. And those are things that I prayed a lot about, and they haven't changed. But also during that time, um, I was brought to my knees in ways that I'd never been before. Um, I learned to trust God with my needs more than I ever had before. Um, I learned a, a deeper urgency for my life and my ministry. I became probably twice as good of a pastor in a short period of time right before I came here to see you guys. And one pastor that I like says, um, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. And so this abundance that I'm talking about goes beyond your understanding. Even though you might ask for a scorpion, Jesus still gives you a fish. I think there's one day for all of us um, even though the Bible says we, we know that he's working those things to our good in mysterious ways, there's one day that it feels like he's really not meeting our survival needs, and that's the day we die. But on that day exactly, I think it's a, a picture of all these days, as we walk into the most abundant blessing that we could ever dream of, eternal life with God. And like we look to the heart of God and the hand of God in our daily lives, we still look to him on that day too, because Jesus' hand um, it didn't just overflow with bread, it overflowed with blood as someone pierced a nail through it. And his heart doesn't just beat with compassion for you, but it also stops for three days of compassion for you. And it starts beating again. The meticulous shepherd poured out every last drop of the punishment that we deserved so that we could have eternal life with God. And that is provision for our survival. It's beyond this life. And this is how you know for sure in these moments where you're questioning, well, is God really giving me what I need? This is how you know for sure that he is. Paul says, if God did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So let's look to Jesus' heart and hand this morning. Let's pray and give him our needs now. Jesus, um, you shepherded this people so well in the wilderness that looked to you. And this morning, Lord, we look to you. We've given you the needs of this world through Wendy's prayer before, and right now we want to give you our needs as a church. Lord, take those things that are stressing us out this morning, those things that are keeping us down, um, and Lord, give us what we need. Um, give us all of it, Lord. Give us 
not only the things we need, but the things we want to. Um, Lord, we, we need your abundance this morning. We want to testify to others that you care for us. Um, and Lord, in those ways where we don't know what we need, Lord, help us to see how you're answering prayers we can never even thought to pray um, through the, the challenges you're giving us right now. Uh, Jesus, thank you um, for, for giving your life uh, for ours. We look forward to being with you in heaven forever. Um, may that day come soon. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.